Hey, if you want to, if you brought your Bibles, or you brought a phone, go ahead and turn to Mark. I was going to say Matthew, but Mark chapter 4. That's where we'll be uh, sitting today. That's where we'll be hanging out. Uh, we're starting a new series, as you could see. Uh, starting a new series called Questions Jesus Asked. And let me give you the premise, uh, the whole idea behind it. Uh, when Jesus asks questions, uh, he's never asked questions to get information. Does that make sense? He's never wanting to gather and collect or acquire information because he's God. He knows everything. So when he asks a question, it's not for information, it's for clarification or education. What he's trying to do is to teach us something. Jesus, whenever he asks a question in the Bible, asks a question uh, that we should probably be asking ourselves. And he's trying to point out something that we are missing inside of our life. Uh, to give you an example, my wife does this to me as well. Uh, she will ask questions uh, to teach me something, to train me in something. Uh, for example, uh, if there's underwear on the floor, my wife will look down and she will see my underwear on our bedroom floor and she will ask me the question, are those your underwear on the floor? <laughs> and uh, the honest answer is, uh, I hope so, really, I really do. <laughs> Because if they're not my underwear, we got a whole nother conversation that we need to be having. Uh, but, you know, she's really, what she's trying to do is to train me, to teach me, to pick up my stuff. That's the point behind the question. Uh, she asked me this question very recently. I don't know if you noticed this, but my wife got her hair cut. It used to be right here. Now it's up to here. I'm just going to tell you, I got no warning on this. And so, gentlemen, you will sympathize with me, will you please? So I come home, and she told me she got a haircut. I didn't mean it meant all of them. And so um, when I came in the door, I saw her hair, and apparently my reaction wasn't the best reaction. I didn't say the best thing that I could. So my wife asked me a question, and she asked me this. Is there another way you'd like to say that, is what she said to me. <laughs> That would be really funny. That would be really funny if she only said that to me one time. Uh, but she has said that to me on multiple occasions because I have a tendency to speak what's right on my mind, put my foot in my mouth. And what she's trying to train me to teach me to do by asking questions like, is there another way you'd like to say that is to choose your words wisely, Jake. Be kind is what she's trying to say. And so in Mark chapter 4, Jesus asks a question. And the question we're going to tackle today is, why are you afraid? And he said this in one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. It's when Jesus calms the storm. And this account, this situation happens in Matthew uh, 8, Ma uh, Luke 8, and Mark 4. It's in three of the four Gospels, which should tell you that it's important, right? When something like that is repeated, it's important. That there's a principle tucked inside of this question that God wants us to pull out and he wants us not just to know, but to apply to our life. So um, as we go, there'll be pictures, little background information to hope bring some life to the story. But this whole story uh, centers around the Sea of Galilee. Um, and it's a very interesting, very unique sea. In fact, it's not a sea at all. It is a, there's no salt. It is a freshwater lake, but it is called the Sea of Galilee by tradition. And it's not even that big. Like you imagine in the stories when you read them, how big this must be. It's only 13 miles long. It's at, um, you know, at the widest point, it's only seven miles across. To give you a perspective, it's about twice the size of Lake Washington. It has multiple names. 
Uh, Gennesaret is the first one. It's its Greek name. It also has the name of the Sea of Tiberias because Herod Antipas, the guy in Jesus' time, uh, he actually built a city in honor of Emperor Tiberius that is still around to this day. It's still on the west side of the shore, which is pretty amazing. It's also called Canaret, which is the Hebrew word for violin. And if you look at an aerial shot of this thing, you could see it kind of resembles a, uh, you know, a violin. And so that's kind of where it got its name. The lake is 606 feet below zero or below sea level, um, which is the lowest lake or the lowest freshwater lake in the world. In fact, it's the second lowest um, uh, body of water next to the Dead Sea. And I tell you all this, you're like, why is that important? The reason I tell you this is because the, 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 the Sea of Galilee sits in like a bowl. Like imagine your bowl of cereal and it's only halfway filled or three quarters of the way filled. Uh, there's um, to the west, there are hill, the hills of Galilee, which raise up about 1,500 feet. To the east, you have the Golan Heights. Maybe you've heard about those on the news. Uh, they rise up about 3,000 feet. And then to the north, uh, there's Mount Hermon, which is about 9,200 feet. And the, the significance is this, is that the hot air that comes from the hills of Galilee and the Golan Heights come in, and then they mix with the cold air that comes down from Mount Hermon. And what it does is inside of this bowl, this air, this hot air, this cold air that comes in there, it creates sudden storms. Sudden winds come into that place and the waters pick up. And so in one moment, the whole place could be calm and look like this. And then in the next moment, all of a sudden it's in a turbulent state. And this is what's happening as you come to Mark's gospel. And so let me read through the passage, uh, the whole passage, starting in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Here's what it says. It says, on that day, and so what day are we talking about here? Uh, in verse 1 of chapter 4, we know that Jesus is teaching from a boat. He's actually just off the shore, and all the people are on the side or on the hill, and he's teaching there to the people like a kind of a natural amphitheater. And so he's been teaching all day, and here's what it says. On that day when he was teaching, when evening had come, he, being Jesus, said to them, those are the disciples, let us go across to the other side. So the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in, a, in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats, or, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. In fact, in Luke's gospel, they use the word swamped, or he uses the word swamped. The boat was becoming swamped with water. Verse 38. But he, talking about Jesus again, was in the stern. And so for all you land lovers, that's the back of the boat. He was asleep on a cushion. I love that detail right there. On a cushion. He was comfortable. And they woke him. And said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, and then here's our question. Here it is. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this 
that even the wind and the sea obey him. There's a couple overarching things that I want to talk about before we break down this passage. Um, Number one is this, is it's Mark's attention to detail. He gives a lot of detail in here. He tells us a lot of things. Like, number one, he says that it's evening. It's two, it says that they were leaving the crowd, um, that they took Jesus as he was. And as he was kind of means that he was sitting in the boat, and they quickly just pulled up the anchor and then just started to sail out as he was still sitting there. Um, There were other boats around them. Jesus is in the back of the boat. Uh, He's taking a nap, and he's lying on a cushion. And I say all that to say this, is that all those details that are added in here or in here are indicators that Mark isn't making this story up. That he's not just writing this story and putting in um, needless details. Because honestly, at first glance, when you read this story, these are kind of, they seem meaningless details. But those details point to an eyewitness account. And that's what you're getting in this story. You're getting an eyewitness account from Peter telling Mark. That's what a lot of scholars believe, that Peter is telling Mark about what happened that day and that this is an actual factual eyewitness account of a historical situation. Friends, it is a true story. It's not a fairy tale. It's not some made-up fictional fable. It is a real story about a real Jesus who has real power in our real storms that come into our life. I don't know about you, but that makes me really encouraged. Really encouraged. And so let's do, okay, so the second thing to notice here um, is this, is the repetition of words. There's a bunch of, there's one word that's repeated three times. Did anybody catch it when I went through it? One word that's repeated three times through that passage. Sometimes what writers will do is they will use words over and over again to create emphasis of what they're talking about. The word that was in there, three different accounts, was the word great. And the Greek word for that is mega. That's where that word comes from. Mega, like Megatron from, you know, Transformers. Okay? Mega. And in verse 37, it is, they say that there is a great storm or a mega windstorm. And you move down to verse 39, and all of a sudden, it is a mega calm. It is a great calm, followed by a mega fear, mega scared. We just did a series, right? We just did a series on the word, um, like, being made. And, the, and kind of the idea behind it is we talked that there, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the word fearfully in that time is used as in awe or to stand in reference. And that other times in Scripture that the word fear is used like, I'm scared. This is one of those times. When Jesus calms a storm, they aren't in awe and wonder. They are in awe and fear. They're like scared out of their mind. They're afraid. Catch this. They were afraid in the storm when the storm was happening. The storm is gone, and now they have great mega fear. In fact, the Bible, the Greek word of fear, it's two forms of phobia. It's fear on top of fear. So it's fear exceeding fear. They're having a mega like fear on top of fear moment. They're scared out of their minds because Jesus calmed the storm. And you're thinking, well, the storm's gone. What do they have to be scared of? God is in the boat, people. And they just saw him stop the water. That's crazy. 
And so here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to break this down. If you're new here, if you don't come normally, we, uh, we have topically titled sermons. But what we like to do is deliver them expositorily. And that means we're going to go through it verse by verse by verse. And so let's start with the first verse, which is verse 35. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Now here's an artist's rendering of what the boat could look like. They have found boats on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. They put them together, and this is kind of what they would, they think it would have looked like. Um, there's some in the museum at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you can see from the, the top left of that picture, I think it's left, yes. Um, the top left, you can see that there's a deck on the back of it. And underneath that deck, they are assuming that's where Jesus would have slept, is right around in there. And so that's where he's on his cushion, that's where they're traveling, and that's when the storm comes up. And, you know, Jesus says, let us go across to the other side. That's what he tells them before he goes to sleep. And this is something to remember. Whenever Jesus tells us something at the start of a season in our life, we need to lay hold of it. We need to lay hold of it. Sometimes God will give us assurances, clear direction. I want you to go this way. Here's what we're going to do. He wants us to know that he has a plan in mind. Here's what I mean. Jesus, if Jesus tells you you're going over, then you're not going to go under. That is so tweetable, people. Come on. All right? If Jesus tells you you're going over to the other side, you're not going to go under. To the disciples, he says, hey, we're going over here. So he already told them, we're headed over there. And if God in the boat tells you you're going over there, you're going to make it over there. But yet, halfway through, they got confused, right? They, got, they saw the waves. They saw the storm. And they're like, oh, my gosh. And they forgot that Jesus says we're going over because they thought they were going under. And so we got to remember that. Sometimes too often we forget the promises that God has given us in the midst when we see our circumstances around us. But Jesus says, let us go across to the other side. And in verse 36, it says, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. This is interesting to me because truly every time I've ever heard this passage preached, I've never heard about the other boats. Every time I've read it, I seem to forget this detail. There were other boats there. There truly was. I totally didn't remember that until I went back into studying for this talk. Sometimes we get so preoccupied what's going on inside of our life that we forget that there are other things happening around us. For example, you go to the hospital, you broke your arm. We have a tendency to forget, you know, because they're not taking our number or we're not going fast enough that there are people who are in there who just had a heart attack. You know? And I think you get that sense with the disciples. In this sense, they say to him, Jesus, don't you care about what's happening to us? What's happening right here? We're going to drown. But what about all the other boats that were with them? Right? What about them? The truth is, Jesus cares about every boat, he cares about every person, everywhere, all the time. That's who he is. Jesus cares. Verse 37. And a great or a mega windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. 
Every time I've also heard this passage preached on, because I've heard it many times, uh, I always hear that they talk about how the disciples were fishermen, that this was their trade. They had been around the, the, the Sea of Galilee. They knew storms. They were familiar with it. So for them to be freaked out in this moment, for them to feel like they are goners, that must have been some crazy storm. And it was. There are clues to it even in the scripture. Mark and Luke use a word um, when they describe the wind as tornadic. So these were tornadic winds. They were larger than normal winds. So it's a big windstorm. And here's where it gets even crazier. Matthew uses a Greek word. Um, it's called seismoth. And that's where we get the phrase or our word seismic. And so truly, it is very possible that in conjunction with the wind, these tornadic winds, that there was an earthquake that was adding to the severity of the waves at that time. So this is a mega great tornadic seismic storm happening here. It is huge. It is big. It is get your life jacket on because we're going down kind of scary. And what is Jesus doing? He's getting a power nap in, right? That's what Jesus is doing. He's sleeping. Jesus is sleeping. He must have been so tired. I'll tell you this. I mean, I, 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 I get tired every time. I'm going to take a nap in a few minutes, you guys, when this is all done. Some of you guys are taking a nap right now, and I'm so jealous, right? <laughs> but he must have been tired. He must have been really tired. Friends, sleeping is one attribute that I can truly say with all integrity that I am like Christ in. <laughs> I'm not joking. I have a gift. I have an ability to be able to sleep anywhere at any time. I could lay down right here, and in 10 minutes, I promise you, I could be asleep. My wife could attest to this, truly, that I can sleep anywhere at any time. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have this gift. When you're on an airplane, no big deal. I'm taking a nap. Wake me eight hours, and I'm fine. And truly, that is me. That is me. When the kids come in in the morning and wake up my wife, they don't wake up me, right? Because I'm asleep, and my wife loves that part of it, right? She hates that part of it, but what's crazy, she wakes me up at that point in time. That's what happens. When I was in college, this is so crazy, I went, and we, we were going to do this big concert, this big Christian concert, and, uh, and this band came in, and we built the stage, and we, we set it all up, and I was a part of the setup team, and it took all day to do it, and I was exhausted, and so I needed to sleep, but the concert just started, and I wasn't going to make it. And so I tried to find somewhere to sleep. I could not. And since I was on the backstage side of things, I crawled down underneath the stage where the band was playing, the loud, humongous bass and all of that, and I slept like a baby <laughs> while the concert was going on. Truly, I can sleep anywhere. And Jesus is exhausted, and apparently he could sleep anywhere as well because they're in the middle of this mega storm, and he's sleeping. Verse 38, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And in other words, they're saying, Jesus, do you not care that we're going to die? Wake up. We just want you to see it happen, right? We just want you to see it happen. This is such a great story, you guys, because Jesus, and, and, and because of this, we can relate to this story. Everyone in here can relate to this story. 
Who hasn't in here been in a situation where you feel like you're going under? Who hasn't been in a situation or into a place where you feel like everything is going wrong? It's not going the way that you wanted. Who hasn't been in a spot where everything's sinking and you're asking this question, where is God? Where is God in this moment? Is he awake? Is he even aware of what's happening here? Does he even care what is going on in my world and in my storm and in this situation? Verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Those words there are the same words that Jesus used to cast out demons. It is the Greek word that means to muzzle an animal. And so he muzzles demons with that word and he silences the storm with those words. And the crazy thing is, is when he screams them out, the storm listens. Isn't that nuts? You and I, we could walk up on the side of Lake Washington and we could scream, peace, be still water. And nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to happen. My son, I'm literally like, peace, please be still. You know, I got no control. Not Jesus. Jesus has control over the wind and over the waves. And the verse continues. It says, the wind ceased. And there was a great, a mega calm. Literally, instantly the storm stops and the water becomes glass, so much so that you can see your reflection in the water. Friends, every time I read this story, I hear this story, I think of a situation where I was fishing with my dad on Tanawax Lake. We were fishing. This is way before cell phones and you knew that there was a storm coming. So we were fishing in the evening and a storm came. We saw the clouds, they came in. The rain came in, the wind came in, the rain started going sideways, and then all of a sudden, it started to have thunder and lightning. It was a full-fledged storm, and we're thinking, it's lightning, we need to get off the, off the lake. And so we turn to go drive in, and we go to, and we realize that the, 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 the boat launch is full, and there's a waiting line, and we're not going to have time, and we're sitting ducks in the middle of the lake. So what we decided to do is to drive on our, to, to, to take our boat to go and park along the water um, under a tree. And because we were there, we decided we might as well continue to fish. And so we did. Sad to say we caught nothing that day, right? We caught nothing. But eventually, the wind died down. And the rain stopped. And it did it rather quickly. I was so surprised. It did it rather quickly. And it was such a severe storm that all the bugs left and all the, like, the ducks. There was not a duck on the water. There was no jet ski. There was no other boat. It was just us. And we were there on the water. It was as glass as I've ever seen glass. There wasn't a ripple in the water. And I literally, as we're fishing there, I say to my dad, man, it would be so fun if we could go water skiing in this. This is insane. And then my dad goes, well, we got the ski, you know. Well, I didn't have on any pants. No, not, I had pants on. All right, I had pants. <laughs> I didn't have on any, didn't have all the rest of the gear. So, but literally we're like, well, let's do it. And so in my full clothes, and we didn't even have the regular uh, like life jacket. I wore one of those orange ones to just stick out and right there. And we got the ski on, busted my shoes off, pulled me up, and I, it was the most beautiful skiing time I've ever had. The only waves we encountered were the ones we made. It was crazy, crazy, crazy calm. I still wonder what 
all the neighbors and all the people around the side thought as I was, you know, skiing through there after the storm with my big life jacket and all my clothes on. But I don't care. It was so amazing. It was mega calm, and that is what just happened. And in verse 40, he said to them, Jesus said to him, and here's our phrase. Here's, what, here's the question. Why are you so afraid? Why are you afraid? And it seems like it's a silly question, right? Because the answer is obvious. Jesus, the boat is sinking. That's why we're afraid. Jesus, we're going down. The boat is sinking. That's why we're afraid. But remember, Jesus never asks questions for information. He asks them for clarification to teach us something. And he wanted to teach them something and in essence teach us something. And so in Jesus, what he's doing here, what he's applying or implying with this question is this, is that the disciples' premise on life was wrong. You see, they had this idea, this understanding like so many of us have, that if Jesus cared about them, because remember their question? Remember their question? It was like, Jesus, don't you care that we're drowning? If, if we, Jesus cared about them, then they would have no problems, that there would be no storm, there would be just smooth glass in their life. And it's so easy, isn't it? Like it's, it's almost natural for us to conclude that if God cares about us, then nothing bad is going to happen. Or if he does care, he's going to stop the trouble. Or if he doesn't care, you know, if the trouble doesn't stop, it means he doesn't care. But can I just say this to you? If you live your life under that premise that the only way in which the problems, like that if God doesn't care about you, then your problems should all go away, then you're going to come to the wrong conclusion every single time. You really are. That's not the way God views it. Therefore, that's not the way we should view it. Jesus says this. He says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. He says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. In other words, hurt happens. Pain is a promise. The crap, my friends, is going to come. It's just going to happen. That does not mean that God does not care. In fact, Jesus, what he's saying is he says, I allow people I care about to go through storms, but that doesn't mean that they need to panic in the midst of that storm. They don't need to panic. Jesus' point behind this question is this, is that they have a problem. But the issue is not the storm. The issue is not whether or not Jesus cares. The issue is not whether or not Jesus has power. The issue to this question, the issue that they're going through, is found in the second half of verse 40, and here it is. It says, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no Friends, the issue was their faith. That was the issue. And you think through the disciples' perspective or through Jesus' perspective about the disciples that after all these miracles that they've seen Jesus do, miracle after miracle after miracle, you would think that they would have some level of faith. And Jesus says, why do you still have no faith? Anyone who has spent 10 seconds with Jesus knows enough to trust him with the worst 10 minutes of their life. With the worst 10 hours of your life, worth 10 days, 10 months, the worst 10 years of your life, you can trust with him. And so the implication of Jesus' question, why are you so afraid? 
is simple. We don't need to be afraid. We need faith. That's the implication. We don't need to be afraid. We need faith. In this passage, fear and faith are connected. And if you think that's an isolated issue in the Bible, you're wrong. It happens 127 times that fear and faith are connected throughout the Bible. They're tied together. In our lives, when, our, when one goes up, the other goes down. In some way, fear and faith, they are correlated. And so here's the lesson. The greater your faith, the smaller your fear. The greater your faith, the smaller your fear. When my daughter... When my daughter Mumu died, I can tell you this. That was a tough time in life, obviously. But it was also the time in my life when I had the most faith I've ever had. And some of you have heard me say from up here or in meetings or things of that nature that during that time, I felt no fear. I think the reason I felt no fear is because my faith was bigger than it's ever been. And I still don't feel that afraid anymore um, to just try and go and do what God wants me to do. But I think it's because he's grown my faith in me. And they're correlated, right? The greater your faith, the smaller your fear. And what I think Jesus is asking them in his question, then he's asking us, is where is your faith? Where is your faith? So when a problem or a storm does arrive, is your faith in yourself? Like, I can do this. I will, I will hunker down. I'll get this done. Because that's a shaky place to be. Or if bad news comes in from the doctor, and, you know, or for a diagnosis, or is your faith in the doctors? And doctors are great. Don't get me wrong, but they're not God. You know, they're not God. Is your faith in your employer? Or is it in the economy? Or is it in your savings? I can tell you this. If you put your faith in anything other than Jesus Christ, you will be disappointed. Eventually, you will be disappointed. And maybe you're thinking, not in this life I won't be. Well, the moment you step into the next life, you will be disappointed. (laughs) Very disappointed. But if we put our trust in Jesus, we have No reason to be afraid. That's what he's telling us. Even though the circumstances, the storm, what we're walking through is out of control, we don't need to be afraid if we have faith. You want to know the the whole point of this passage? If you were to take this passage and read it in context, the, the whole point is not that Jesus is going to help you through the storms in your life. Whenever a storm comes up, Jesus is going to take care of it. I have heard that message over and over and over again. But the whole point is found in the last verse, in verse 41. Here's what it says. It says, And they were filled with great or mega fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea Obey him. Friends, the point of this passage is simple. Jesus is God. He proved it. He said to the wind, silence. And it was silent. And that God 
cares about you. And he cares about me. No matter what the circumstances look around us, he still cares. And here's how I know that he cares, is that he didn't walk away and he went through the ultimate storm on our behalf. I want to close this time, our time together, with a parallel, if you will. Um, Something that is unfortunately overlooked when it comes to this passage, but I think that Mark is referring to, and it's part of what he's saying. And that parallel happens in another story in the Bible. They're very similar, these two. They parallel each other. And and it's a story that is well-known, and most of the time it's well-known by children. Uh, It's in the Old Testament, and it is a story of Jonah and the whale. Have you heard of that story? There's so many interesting parallels. Check this out. Both Jesus and Jonah were on a boat. Both boats encountered storms. And what's nuts is some of the language that is used in those two stories are almost identical. Both Jesus and Jonah were asleep at the bottom of the boat in the middle of the storm. Both of them. In both accounts, the sailors come and wake the sleeper and tell them we're going to die. In both accounts. In both cases, there is a miraculous calming of the sea miraculous. And in both cases, the sailors were more terrified after the calming than they were before the calming occurred or in the middle of the storm. They have a lot of similarities, these stories, but they're almost identical with one difference. Here it is. In the story of Jonah, remember how he calmed the storm? Remember how that storm was calmed? The sailors went down to him and they said, wake up and pray to your God. And what did Jonah say? He said, the only way, there's only one way to stop this storm. In order for you to live, throw me over, I have to die. In order for you to live, I have to die. Now, if you've read the story, you know the story, he doesn't die, but he thinks he has to in order to do that. And they throw him into the water, and immediately, not when the whale gets him, but immediately the storm is calmed at that point in time. Now, the parallel Catch this. Do you remember what Jesus said in the book of Matthew? This is crazy. He says, one greater than Jonah is here. Who is he talking about? Himself. Jesus is the ultimate Jonah. He is the ultimate Jonah. And Jesus, in essence, is saying, the only way that you're going to live is if I die. And so he threw himself into the storm of sin and he threw himself into the storm of death and into the fury and the wrath of the Father's judgment and he took our place. Why did he do that? Because he cares. Because he cares. The cross means that Jesus cares. And I pray, you guys, I pray that that salvation, life-giving truth would pierce the skin and to go straight into your soul. And by faith, you would believe that what he said is true and who he is is true. And that we don't have to be afraid. And I don't know where you're at. Maybe stuff is going on inside of your life. You don't have to be afraid. It could be terrible. It could be the worst thing in the world. It could be looking like you're going to drown, you're going to die. 
Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's some sort of diagnosis, something the doctor said. Maybe it's just you can't get along with this. You can't figure that out. Maybe you're out of options. You're surrounded in the storm. You just need to know a couple things. One, Jesus cares about you, even though that's happening, and he's able. He is able. He is God. And you don't need to be afraid if you have faith. He may not stop that storm all the time miraculously, right? But one day, all storms will be silenced, and we will step into eternity. And it will be like, I don't know if it's going to be a mega fear moment, but it's going to be a mega awesome moment in that point. Let's pray.